2: And welcome back to the last Sunday of February, would you believe uh, it is Heartline here on WBEN. And we're here at 12 o'clock and we welcome your calls. John and Rambo Jim will get to you in just a moment. And we're looking to reestablish contact with Carol Calabrese. I believe Carol, uh, the connection was lost for a moment there. Corey uh, Griswold is diligently trying to return Carol to the airwaves. Carol is... Uh, a wonderful political analyst, and whether you agree with him or not, he's always very civil and very uh, studious and, and uh, reasoned in his approach. That's why I love talking with Carol. It uh, doesn't get down to name calling. It doesn't get down to nastiness. Carol's just a, an astute observer of political life and uh, a fine gentleman as well. And I think Carol's back on the phone. Carol, are you I with am. me? I am, Brenda. And I was just singing your praises, so it's probably a good thing you didn't hear it. I don't want your head to get I too my big. My
3: wife would say the same thing.
2: <laughs> Carl is a consultant with Messiello Martucci, Calabrese, and Associates, uh, political consultants based on Main Street in the city of Buffalo. Carl, let's go back to the phone lines. We've got John in Rochester. John, as always, welcome to Hardline. You're on the air.
0: Thanks, Brenda. Hey, Carl. Carl, uh, uh, two questions. One uh it's been a good couple weeks for Donald Trump because of the uh mistakes and the uh, chaos Democratic party but I got I, and I've been hearing uh from uh...
2: well it looks like John's call just fell out a uh, little gremlin's in the phone system this morning we'll go yeah, to uh, go Rambo Jim who has been patiently waiting Jim good morning you're also on hardline hello Yeah.
4: good morning go I want to talk about something I heard the Maha Rushi say about after the debate there when, uh, when Pocahontas went up one side of him and down the other. He was saying that it was very obvious, and I do agree with him on this. Um, he, Bloomberg is, is intimidated by a woman that's taller than he is. It was very obvious. <laughs> he was afraid of her. You could see it on his you could see it in his eyes. He was just he was very when she went after him. He's not used to that. The guy's got $60 billion, and here's this upstart female who went after him, verbally attacked him, and he didn't know how to handle it. He was just blown away by the fact that she was taller than he was, and she wasn't afraid to talk, speak up to him. And I'll guarantee you, if you check this out, you'll find out I'm right. Every single woman that has that non-disclosure agreement with him is taller than he is. And he I think he got a little—he uh, resents— taller women, and then he got a little you know, at work, he got a little uh, uh, he let his hostility get the better of him. I guarantee you, every single one of those women is taller than he is.
2: Hey, Jim and Carol, I don't think it's so much whether it's a height issue or a female. I don't think Michael Bloomberg is used to anybody pushing back on him. I think that's the bigger issue.
5: Yeah, well, I, mean, I, think that, Brent, that, I
3: think you're absolutely correct on that. And plus, remember, he has not been in a debate since 2009. Uh, being in a debate is like getting ready for a like the NFL season or the Major League Baseball season, you got to get in shape for it and you get in shape by by actually playing games. All these other candidates are in kind of mid-season form
0: now with their Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network.
3: tactics and techniques they know where everybody's coming from how to counter how to parry different attacks and he hasn't done that and so don't think that the lack of practice didn't play a role in his performance but jim raises an interesting point and it'll be worth following in future debates to see how he reacts does he adjust to it or not but i have to say this elizabeth warren is an excellent debater i don't know what happened to her though the, the first couple of debates she was what we saw the other night uh, and then she kind of went into hibernation for three or four of them, and now what we saw the other night was the the Elizabeth Warren we saw in the early debates, and she's an excellent debater and she can really take you apart uh, as you saw the other night, and it doesn't it doesn't help when your opponent pretty much lays down and allows it to happen, as uh, Bloomberg
0: did.
2: Let's go back to John and Rochester. We've reestablished uh, the line. Hey John, thank you for your patience on that.
0: Hey Brenda. Hey Carl. Uh, Carl, I've got a couple questions for you. One, uh, it's been a good uh, couple weeks for Trump because of the Democratic chaos, and I'll tell you, I've talked to a lot of uh, people, both Republican, conservative, and Democrats. They think it could be a runaway. I don't look at it that way. I, I think it's going to be a razor-thin victory, if that, because of the media media bias. And he, my second question, Carl, is. Uh, uh, because of the green light law, and the bail uh, the, the bail reform law that was passed in New York State, is there a chance that the New York Senate could swing back to the Republicans?
3: Okay, let's um, let's take that second question first. The answer is yes, it's possible, and a lot of Republicans are uh, planning right now to run as, as, with that as their key issue, especially in the Long Island districts that were flipped in the last election, and you have incumbents running for re-election for the first time, which historically is the most vulnerable time for an incumbent to run their first re-election campaign. So uh, Republicans are, are looking at it anxiously. Democrat, incumbent Democrat senators are very concerned about it and have publicly been talking about having the Assembly look at reforming it, and that uh, as I say, that has become public. That they're very anxious and telling their assembly counterparts that this could cost us our election uh, for the Senate. And so there's a lot of angst on the side, uh, on the Democrat side of the aisle. There's a lot of uh, kind of enthusiasm on the Republican side. We'll see if if the legislature reforms it. Uh, right now, it, it, there's a stomach for it in the in the Senate amongst Democrats. There seems to be no stomach for it amongst Democrats in the Assembly. However, so I think that's still a work in progress. Uh, will it be a runaway I I don't know every one of these things is different Um, you know what role will the media play I I think the media has so discredited itself in terms of lack of impartiality and have become such a player that you're a Trump player you're not paying attention to that Uh, he's done very well recently with independence that will decide this race Uh, he's you know he's got a lot of money he's got a lot of issues going for him he's got a great economy uh, and, you know, I read something the other day, and this is interesting. It, you know, people say Trump should stop tweeting. I, I think he should stop making dumb tweets, which he often does. But he's got more followers on his Twitter than the combined viewership of ABC, NBC, and CBS News every night. Hand down heard there, Carol. <laughs> yeah, I just heard Amazing numbers. Put it in perspective. So when people say to me, oh, he should stop tweeting, absolutely not. He should stop making dumb tweets that step on his own message. Uh, and give ammunition and fodder to his opponents. Right. But in terms of, it's a great way to, to get away from this media bias and speak directly to his followers.
2: And I have to give the president credit for that because he identified Twitter as a great means to get the, the word out, and in his own words, which ring true, and oftentimes, as you've said, over the past several months, when you and I have talked, how if he could be much more discreet about it, it would make things better for him. But it's almost like he can't stop himself. But you got to no, give him credit for being able to identify that medium as a way to get the word out.
3: No question. And he can't stop himself. I read an article the other day. I thought it was pretty funny. It said that basically Trump has the political version of Tourette syndrome. <laughs> uh, he, he just—
0: he can't
2: help himself. Uh, we have a text that came in too, by the way, Carl, about Michael Bloomberg. Uh, the texture says Bloomberg intentionally did not prepare because he planned to buy his way to the nomination. I think there's probably some truth to that.
3: I, I don't know. I, I can't imagine if he did if he made a conscious decision not to prepare it's because as you said it's based on arrogance i don't need to prepare i'm i'm more than capable of handling these guys they're not in my league i've done this before it'll be a piece of cake uh i I don't think he was saying i don't i can i can perform badly and and just spend more money nobody wants to look like he did the other night you know if, if i can if i can compare this to a to a boxing match in most debates you see good jabs, okay? You don't, you don't very often see a knockout. The only knockout I can remember in my time was Lloyd Benson and Dan Quayle. You're no John Kennedy, sir. That was a knockout. Right. But for the most part, you see jabs. Good punch, snaps the head back, gets you on the offensive. Once in a while, you see body blows where you see the fighter grimace in pain. That's what you saw the other night with Michael Bloomberg. Body blows producing grimaces on his face. Nobody wants to look like that in no. this business.
2: Do you remember Stockdale, Carl? Sure do. Yeah, but I almost felt sorry for him. It was different than the the Bloomberg thing.
3: Oh, yeah, I did too, Brenda, because he was an American hero. He was a prisoner of war in Hanoi, who got the Congressional Medal of Honor for the way he organized prisoners and uh, helped them survive. And unfortunately, the first impression people had of him in the political system was not favorable, and I felt very bad for him because you read about Admiral Stockdale. If you go to the Naval Academy today, there is a statue of him in his flight, you know, in his flight outfit his flight suit with a helmet uh, honoring his service and that was a shame the way that came out but again he this was his first time in the deep end of the political pool right I you know, could fight a fly he could fi- he could fly a fighter jet and, and participate in combat but this was a different kind of combat that he was not trained
2: for yeah all sorts of sharks in those deep waters uh, Carol what did you make of the um uh, Roger Stone sentencing uh, earlier this week, 40 months in federal prison, a $20,000 fine. Uh, by all accounts, he was very stoic in the courtroom. Uh, Michael Caputo, who's a contributor here, was in that courtroom and talked about um, the scene. And many people are speculating that the president will pardon uh, Roger, Roger Stone. Do you think that's the case?
3: I, I don't know. Uh, he may eventually. But my, my thought on it was, first of all, the sentence was in keeping with federal sentencing guidelines which these Mueller prosecutors had attempted to essentially double and not tell the attorney general that they were going to double. If you recall, they had told the attorney general that they were going to go along with the sentencing guidelines and let the judge stay within those parameters. And then when they filed their documents, they went for seven to nine years. So what the judge ordered was pretty much in keeping three to four years with the sentence. What bothers me, Brenda, is, okay, he's convicted and sentenced for lying. What about all the other liars that have not been prosecuted? The Andrew McCabes who lied four times, three times under oath. James Brennan, John Clapper, Jim Comey. You know, you see this and you say, "Wait a minute." You know, my, General Flynn gets prosecuted. Stone gets prosecuted. What about these other liars? Why have we, we've got them on tape lying under oath and there's no action, let alone sentencing? If um, you're so on my side of the political aisle, you start to say, "Wait a minute. Why? Why is there not fairness here? Do we indeed?" Have a two-tier system of justice—one for, you know, Trump supporters and one for uh, Trump opponents. I, it really bothers me when I see all of these other people who I know have lied, seen them lie, it's been proven they've lied, and there's absolutely not a finger lifted to do anything about it.
2: That Carol, I think that's why people are so fed up with politics on both sides of the aisle.
3: Yeah, no question. But I, like I say I'm very frustrated with it, and it, it just seems that the, the, there is a two-tier system now. You know, when, when you start prosecuting. Uh, the Comeys and the McCaves and the Clappers and the Brennans, then
5: then we can talk. I'm telling you, I've got problems.
2: Let's squeeze in another call. Frank is on the line. Good morning, Frank. Welcome to the show.
5: Hey, Carol. Another source of frustration is this whole voting process. They had all—how many years to get this thing ready in Iowa? And they totally botched it. They give so much emphasis to New Hampshire and Nevada, these smaller states, and it almost seems like Bernie's the guy already in the, November. The, the election's not till November. We don't have uniform voting machines across the country. I mean, are they going to address some of this stuff? It's, it's so, we're, we're so backward and so far, far behind in this.
3: Well, no, I don't think we're going to go to a national election, nor should we. You know, election procedures are governed by states. Um, you know, can they do it better? Absolutely. The caucus system is, is ripe for problems and abuses. And if anything, we just probably all these states that have caucuses, put them aside and go to direct primaries. Uh, I think it'd be simple. You know, as of this morning, Last I saw, only 46 percent of the vote was reported in Nevada. So we're still, even though Bernie has been called the winner, uh, we're still under 50 percent of the vote having been reported from a caucus. Um, So, yeah, there are problems with the caucuses. They're very difficult to poll. They're very difficult to to predict. uh, And now we seem to have reporting problems. So I wouldn't be a bit surprised uh, going forward in the next cycle. Number one, I don't think Iowa's going to get the honor of being the first, and I'd be a bit surprised to see caucus states go to a direct primary.
2: Carl, in this day and age, it just baffles me that these uh, these uh, counting situations are so difficult to, to get our heads around. I, I can't understand well, it, why it, it continues to be such an issue in these states. Because
3: it's a cumbersome process, the caucus. It's not as simple as opening up a machine uh, or looking at the results of a computerized ballot uh, and say, OK, here are the t- vote totals. It's done by hand. Remember, I, I didn't know the name in Nevada, but I know there were like 1,700 districts in Iowa. So you've got 1,700 districts reporting and by hand, and you have you have a very complicated system of voting and re-voting, okay? It doesn't end with the first one. When I go into a ballot uh, location to cast a vote in the primary in New York, I vote once, I walk out. That's it. In these caucus states, you, you – You vote first time, they call it alignment. You align the first time, they count the votes. If your candidate didn't get 15% of the total in that room for that district, you go to a second ballot and you can realign. And and so it's just, it's it's made for being slow and cumbersome and and inaccurate.
2: Uh, That's the word for it, all right. Let's go to uh, Mike on the line. Mike, good morning. Welcome to Hardline. You're on with Carol Calabrese.
5: Thank you. How are you?
2: I'm doing well, thanks. Appreciate you calling in.
5: Good. Just a, uh, c- a couple comments about earlier the discussion about President Trump's uh, tweets and how he can't seem to control himself and all that stuff. I don't necessarily agree that he can't control himself in one sense just because, you know, in 2016 we knew that this wasn't going to be, when he won, we knew it wasn't going to be another four-year election like every other one. He does things on purpose, says things on purpose because he baits, he baits the left-wing media and he does it in such a way that they have no choice but to respond um, the same way when he brought up the thing about the Bidens and Ukraine and all that stuff, that really put the spotlight on them. Um, now there's no more talk of of, of Trump impe- of impeachment with the president because of what he said in the phone call. But all the other stuff is coming to light. So, you know, it's the same thing with the, when he calls people names or th- says things like that to draw attention to it. And even though it's bombastic, I think he does it in a masterful way because he's basically shredded the credibility of most of the left-wing media out there by just using Twitter.
2: Carol, you, yeah, my, uh, you my, I would I, imagine I would you agree, agree, agree with that assessment from Mike. In, in much, yes, I, I do in the sense that Trump is a master
3: at trolling his opponents. And they always go down the rabbit hole every time their heads explode. And he does it on purpose. And I think he does it cleverly, and he does it to his advantage. My problem with his tweets, are, for example, I've used this example before, and this has happened before, you have great economic news come out from, from the Bureau of Labor Statistics. Unemployment down, employment up, labor participation rate up, and that's the day he decides to pick a fight with Roosevelt O'Donnell. Okay, And I'm saying to myself, could you have waited a day or two and, and not stepped on your own message? Because now you get the media... The opportunity and the excuse not to cover the good economic news. So that's my problem with his tweets. They're not strategic, and he sometimes steps on his own message. But Mike is absolutely right. He is a master at trolling his opponents, letting, making their heads explode. And when they're that angry, they can't think straight. And I and they think they that's what fuels
2: go. him from day to day, Carol. Yeah, I think so. And, and, and
3: you know, if ten percent of them are bad tweets, then he's—I think he's prepared to say, okay, the other ninety percent. Accomplish my purpose and my goals. And, and that's what it, he's not going to change, Brenda. I mean, anybody who thinks he's going to become more, quote, presidential, it's not. It, he is what he is. American people are going to make a decision, thumbs up or thumbs down, based on what we've seen for the last three, three and a half years.
2: Never a dull moment when it comes to politics. That's why this show is so much fun to do. And Carol, you always have a great beat on it. Thank you so much for joining us this morning.
3: Thank you, Brenda. My pleasure.
2: It was Carol political operative and uh, political consultant and always a a great friend of the show. I'm Brenda O'Lacy. Thanks to Corey Griswold for pushing all the buttons for me and uh, appreciate you tuning in. Until next time, enjoy your Sunday. Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day, brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help
0: you stay connected on America's largest 5G network.